the money stories always come from like where what you've experienced in your childhood mm. and when what you've experienced even a little past childhood right into your early 20s I would say and you know the the things that shape us right are really really important I mean it's really one of the reasons why I even started to do this work is because I've known three women in my life that uh, stayed in abusive relationships because they didn't have money. They stayed at home, they had small children to take care of, and um, they just didn't have the wherewithal to have the freedom. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I um, refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. I'm really, really excited to have Katie Chambazara on. We're going to be talking about money today, going to be talking about the money tree paradox, that paradox between, yeah, I need to get my shit together, right? I need to pay my debt off. I need to not spend more than I'm earning. I need to figure out how much money I have on my credit cards, what my income is, the balance sheets, tax returns, all that kind of rational, logical stuff. But then there's the other aspect, the energy of money, the flow of money, your own energy, where you're coming and behaving from above the line or below the line. Are you coming from a place of drama, playing the outside in game? Or are you coming from a place of presence, playing the inside out game? All of these things, all these factors will lead to eventually whether you have enough money or whether you don't have enough money, right? So it's like trying to kind of get two parts of this puzzle, the rational side and the energetic side, and put them together uh, to come up with this real, you know, power, power, powerful way of looking at money and a new way of looking at money. And Katie Chemizawa does that really well. I've been really fortunate to uh, share the same oxygen as her in the Elementum Coaching Institute. We've been working together for six months in there. I've being coached by Katie Chen, and she's amazing. She is really amazing at what she does. And you'll see her uh, today take me through uh, a coaching process, okay, myself. So you'll be able to listen to that and see what she's really about. And she has a five-day challenge next week, which starts on... What day is it today? So it's 20, so Monday, the 23rd of August. So email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. We'll give you the details of that, okay? Or head to Katie Chemizara's website, okay? You just Google Katie Chemizara Finance and you'll find it, okay? Um, the other reason I wanted to get Katie Chen on it is, you know, I really want to help people stop drinking alcohol or change their relationship with alcohol. It's what I'm all about. It's a life purpose of mine, right? And I've been trying to do this for over a decade, um, one of the core difficulties we have is money, all right, is money, is um, unless we're giving stuff away for free, uh, people don't want to touch it with a barge pole. And this is why I wanted to get Katie Chen on it, because the Strive Method is a workshop, an educational platform, a philosophy, a family that you get access to for nine months, at nine months, right? And we're almost giving it away. But we'll get people on and, and they just won't get over that finishing line, you know, and the thing that I would really like to help guide people and change people is to move away from I can't afford X, Y, Z to mm, how can I make this happen? OK, because if you if you really want to change your relationship with alcohol, you need to come armed with that mindset. You need to have that mindset of how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to do this? What is it that I need to do differently to do this? How do I need to change my mental map? How do I need to change my paradigm and belief systems? What work do I need to do to make this happen? 
If you come from that energy, we can always make something happen. But if you just come and you listen to me or you have a call with me and you're like, oh man, Lee wants some money to help me and I can't afford it or I, I don't believe that people should charge money for this, you lose out at the first hurdle rather than saying, whoa, Lee, okay, hmm, I don't really have that money right now, but how can we make this happen? Absolute game-changing difference. Absolute game-changing difference because now you're coming from this from a place of I really want this, really good energy, a state of presence, consciousness, and curiosity. How can we make this happen? And that's what I want you to get out of this more than anything. Not just about the strive method. This is about life in general. Do not let money block you from achieving your dreams, all right? Do not let that happen. I've let that happen for far too uh, long in my life, and I'm not going to let that continue to happen, right? Please join me in this fight to um, change your relationship with money. So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up, and I'll leave you in the capable hands of Katie Chen Mazzara. Katie Chen Mazzara, how are you doing today? Doing I well? am great so far. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about those three pictures behind you. I see Pasadena. I saw Taipei. Yeah. What else is on there? It What's is, the third one? Um, the other one is Detroit. Oh, okay. Tell me this. Tell me why those three so people can get a little bit of a gist about your life a little bit. <laughs> so I was born in Taipei, Taiwan, and then my husband was born in Detroit. Ah. And then now we live in Pasadena and we like we went into this little pop-up shop and for some reason they had all three and we we're like, oh, this is this is amazing. It's a sign. So we should yeah. get it. And we got it. So I'm then, so glad you said that. Go on, carry on. Yeah, my my head covers up the Detroit one because you know it's not where I'm from. So yeah. <laughs> that's why you never you never really you never see, see the Detroit it. one. <laughs> I'm glad you said that um it seemed like a sign because we'll talk about that a little bit today. I see you have your money tree in the background. I have my money tree here. Mm -hmm. and, and I notice a part of it's dying, which is worrying me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to call today's show the, the money tree paradox or something, because I'm really interested to talk to you about this confusion that I felt and that I see in my community between being raised by parents who are like, okay, the way you make money is to work really hard, right? She so just like work really, 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 really hard, and then you'll make money. And obviously, don't spend more than than you earn, right? So there's that. And then there's the other school of thought that is, what you're thinking like this, and your attitude is this, and your energy is this. Well, of course you're not going to make any money. You know, the whole law of, law of attraction plus kind of get more pleasure into your life, get more joy and excitement. And that will bring you in more money. And I found myself and I see with some other people that when you throw themselves into the energy side of things, because the rational, logical, work as hard as you can thing didn't work, <laughs> you then end up getting really frustrated because nothing seems to change. And it's kind of like, why isn't this working for me? So I am sure you must see the two sides of this in your business. So what comes up for you when I say that immediately? Well, what comes up for me is that um, most of the time, especially around um, like my parents are Asian and, you know, when they, when they say that kind of stuff about working hard and all of those things, it's mainly because 
that's what they've grown up with, but also it's what they do for a living, right? For my dad, he was an engineer for most of his life. And he, you know, he had that nine to five job. And so, yes, that is one of the ways to actually bring in some money is for him to work hard. However, if I really break it down, even I'm sure he's experienced it in his industry as well, that, you know, even working hard doesn't necessarily get him to the promotions, get him to the, the, the higher realms and the bigger incomes, right? Mm -hmm. That, that isn't necessarily something that, um, is always true. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into making more money. And then I work with mostly creatives and creative people, artists, musicians, actors, um, writers, producers, directors, right? And with in a creative field, it's really challenging to say, okay, um, if only I worked really hard. I'll get someplace because there's lots of people who work really, really hard and are not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you hear about those stories like Jim Carrey, where, you know, he had the check in his pocket for a million or $10 million. Right. And it was mm-hmm. like for services render for a movie. And, um, and then 10 years later, he actually got a movie that paid him $10 million. And, um, And is that through his own hard work or is that through a really strong belief in the possibilities of it happening? Right. And I really want to say it's really the beliefs because anybody can actually write down a check for themselves and it may not come true. And is it why did it come true for Jim Carrey and not for somebody else or another actor? You know, part of it is really belief and part of it is work, right? It is like where you are preparing to actually um, be in that place. You know, it's like what Oprah says something about how luck is where uh, preparation meets an opportunity, right? Where mm, perspiration mm. meets opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like that. So let's go back to the beginning about the working hard bit and so my pet, my parents, well, my mother never worked, right? So my mother, well, that's not true. My mother worked harder than my dad, but she never got paid for what she did. She just looked after four kids. But my dad had a job where the only way he could actually make more money was to work more overtime or take overseas jobs. But, but even then, there was a limit that he was going to reach, and getting beyond that limit was not possible unless he changed his paradigm around like his map around what was what he was able to do right for me i grew up and joined the railway at 16 and then by the time i got to 35 and i had like i think i had 30,000 pounds of credit card debt at that that time i realized that the actually the only way i'm going to be able to pay this debt off is if i do something different or when I retire at 55, because the way that I was getting promoted meant that every time I got promoted, I'd maybe get like a couple of grand extra a year and I couldn't work overtime because of the manager. So then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, I've got a ceiling again here. But my map didn't allow me to do anything else 
than being a railwayman. So I couldn't see anything else. I'll give you an example that I come across yesterday and then I'll, you can talk about this and how people can break out of this. Mm-hmm. Me, Liza and Zia went to Foodie Land yesterday in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, right? And Liza saw, so Foodie Land for people listening, it's like, it's like 50 different food tents around the Rose Bowl and everyone's just spending a lot of money, eating a lot of stuff, right? There was one tent with the biggest line of ever. You've never seen anything like it. And it was um, people queuing up to buy garbage lemonade in a baby bottle, a man-sized baby bottle. <laughs> and of course, my daughter who's four really wanted one. Of course. <laughs> I get to the line thinking this could be like five bucks. It's 20 bucks. Wow. And then they're saying to me, for that's the small one. So the small one was about this big. The bigger one was like much, much bigger. And then they were saying, you can have the big one for an extra five bucks. Everybody was buying the extra bigger one for five bucks, right? For like probably 50 cents worth more of lemonade. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'll just do, I'll just have a smaller one. Now, <laughs> I should have just walked away. That's another whole issue we could talk about. <laughs> But I came away thinking this, right? When I was in debt on the railway and all I saw was a railway and I couldn't get out of 30,000. And I honestly believed I would have to wait another 20 years to work on the rail industry to get my pension and pay my debt off. And here's a group of people who just said, look, if we sell lemonade at this event in a baby bottle, it will go amazingly crazy well. And we will, we literally will make six figures over three days selling these baby bottles because they're so cheap. Yet I can't see that that possibility is not even in my map. Can you just touch upon that a little bit? Mm, yeah. And then, well, when I was talking about creatives, I should have also included entrepreneurs because, yes, as an entrepreneur, you've got to it's not a, it's totally not about working super, super hard mm. you know, and, and putting in a million hours doing God knows what. Right. Instead, it's like you have to be open to the energies and then the ideas and and the energy of creation is really the uh, the key to, I think, being a very successful entrepreneur. Mm. And then that energy of creation only comes when you're able to be to rest to relax, to actually um, be in the energy of play and surrounding yourself with the people that actually are also in that same energy. Like those are the the keys to actually being able to come up with ideas even as silly as a a man-sized baby bottle full of garbage lemonade. So how how does that energy thing all work? I know I mean it's a difficult question, I know, right? But um because it it what you're actually saying there um from my background is absolutely counterintuitive. So it actually like I, I've had these discussions with my wife before, you know, so I said like Liza, okay, just trust me. All right, trust me. I this is what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna sleep more, I'm gonna relax more, I'm gonna play more. I'm just going to chill out and I'm not going to worry about this thing and it will take care of itself. And she's like, that's not, that's not good enough for me. <laughs> that, that's a fairy tale. That's, that's dreamland. It, it's, it seems like it's very counterintuitive for sure. 
Um, recently, I even had a client I was working with in a workshop who came to me with this problem of that she's been looking for a job for a year ever since the pandemic. It's been really challenging for her. And I was asking her what she was doing each and every day. And it was just like, all she did every day was like, get up, get on the computer, start looking through LinkedIn and I don't know, Indeed and all of those job search sites, right, to look for Mm. a position. And it was just stressing her out. And I said, what, when you were a kid, what was the one thing that you loved to do that like you could do for hours and, you know, you could, it just wouldn't stop. And then she said, oh, I used to love swinging, And I said, okay, I I want you every single day to go to a park and find a swing to swing for. It doesn't even need to be like a very long time. It can be for five minutes, right? But every single day you're going to do that. And I want you to stop looking for a job. Mm. Counterintuitive, right? Yeah. I was like, stop, just stop looking. I need you to just like relax, get out of your own head, all of those things. And Two weeks later, she sends me an email saying that um, three, she got three job interviews and she had not even applied in those three weeks for anything. Right. And they came to her. And then, yes. And then a week later, she actually got her dream job. Right. This is the energy because the other energy is the energy of desperation. Mm. And when you're in the energy of desperation, everyone can feel that, right? If your clients can, your future clients can feel it. The job employers can feel it. Um, your friends, family, everybody can feel that energy from you. And that's really a turnoff, right? I mean, if you think about dating, when you're dating somebody who's really desperate, who's trying to like, <laughs> no matter what, like be mm-hmm. after you, after you, after you, right? that really turns most of us off. Right. I mean, maybe, you know, some people, they may like that, but most of us are like, no, thank you. I don't really need that energy in my life. And you don't even know why you could be really attracted to the person. Yeah. The person can be very attractive and then yet their energy forces them to forces you to just be like, okay, a little too much. I got to back off on this one. That is, uh, that's so interesting because that, that actually fits into a couple of things that we've been learning in Elementum. Like me and you are like both like in Elementum and this um, amazing, amazing coaching container. And two, a couple of things came up then. One, I remember when I was traveling on the poker circuit, I was having a um, dinner with um, a beautiful model um, and it was a platonic dinner. So there was, there was nothing in it, but she, she was like, judging by what you see on social media and what you see in magazines and stuff, she was like, like physically like a template of beauty that would be the archetype, right? You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. But while I'm eating my French onion soup, there was something about it that was just like, uh, do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, I just remember saying to myself, there's no way I could ever, ever be in a relationship with this woman. And then going down that rabbit hole of beauty doesn't equal relationship. So and that, do you know, that that linked in with uh, Stephen Porges and his theory on polyvagal theory, right? Where like this, this um, you're looking at someone's face and their facial expressions 
and the tonality of voice makes you feel safe. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing from you is if you're in a state of desperation, need to get a job, need to get a job, need to get a job, or you're an entrepreneur, need to get a client, need to get a client, and you they see your face, they'll see the face in your facial expression, but more importantly, they'll hear it in your tone. Yeah. And that that's even before you get into the whole aura and energy thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think they can actually feel your energy even before they see your face or hear your voice. Right, right, right. Like energy is transmuted way, way before anything. Like you, you could probably feel my energy. I could probably feel your energy before we even got on this podcast today. Right. Yeah. I like that. And then to me, money is this exchange of energy. People say money is energy. I don't really believe money is energy, but I do believe it's an exchange of energy. You have something I want, need, desire. Here's a currency that I'm going to pay you through. Right. And the currency is all made up. I mean, that's what's so interesting about money. A lot of times people talk about money in a spiritual sense, but I do believe that you have to apply some very practical things to money in order to actually achieve it to get the money that you really want because it's of this earth. Right. So it's this exchange of energy. Mm, Yeah. For for me growing up, money was always money. It was just, it was a a very, very important material thing that equals status and got you what you wanted. It's only very recently that I've started to think to myself, trying to think differently about money and trying to look at it in a different way, particularly around stress and anxiety so and debt so like let let me just so here's what's working for me is if i focus on debt if i if i look at an amount and see a minus figure next to it and then start start worrying about that i have that minus figure and like start saying when am i going to pay it off how am i going to pay it off where am i going to get my next bean from it creates stress and anxiety within me my autonomic nervous system is linked to Liza's because we've been living with each other for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So then that's going to spread to her. Mm-hmm. We'll spread to Zia as well. Jude, my boy, doesn't live with us. Um, so then you've got an exchange of energy there around this anxiety and stress around this debt. But then when I can close my eyes and just like chill out and think, I'm like, actually, the truth of the matter is I'm 46. I've been in debt most of my life. And I've never, re- when, when you actually look at people who are homeless, mm-hmm. people who can't afford, people who are queuing up for food during COVID pandemic, I'm never in that spot and I've never been in that spot. So then I can get, I can get um, optimism from that and be like, okay, Lee, actually, what is the, and then I can, I can apply rationality. What is the likelihood that if all shit hits the fan completely and you've got no money, that you will be out on your out on your ass, and actually, it's like the Marvel movies when like Iron Man says to you know Doctor Strange is like, "Are we going to win?" He's like, "There's just one way you're going to win out of like a billion permutations." <laughs> I'm like, "There's only one way I lose out of a billion permutations." Being a Western man in Western society, it's really really difficult for me to lose. Yet I keep thinking that I'm a loser. Mm, Yes. 
I think that that's the that's the anxiety that most people have around money, right? Is like it goes to the worst case scenario of like I'll be homeless and you know on the streets and yeah, there's and mm. bottom level survival things. And the the thing that I tell people when you get into that mode is yes, one is to start to look at is that reality. You know, and as our training in Elementum tells us is like really question, is that the truth? And you hmm. you've done that for yourself. And yeah. then that's when things calm down, right? And then you can actually uh, I would say that it's even more power- powerful if you put it to paper. You know, what do you have already that you know that you'll never end up in that situation? Mm. Because the mind also loves clarity, right? The more unknown something is, the more that your mind will go there and go to all of those fear places and, and say, yes, I'm going to end up homeless. However, if you see it in on paper that you wrote down, okay, here are the reasons why I won't. Right. I've done it. I've done this, this and this. I have this in place, you know, all of these skills. And then also I have, you know, friends, family, all these people that I can rely on that I'm never going to end up being homeless because, yeah, I I don't believe that. I actually know for a fact I would never end up being homeless because I do have a support system. Mm. I have family. I have friends. I have people that I can go to if I need to. Yeah, and this, this, I think this paradigm shift is a, a, a crucial part of the puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. So a good example is uh, one that me and Liza get into quite a lot is uh, we currently live with Liza's parents in Tahunga in LA, mm-hmm. so we don't own a home, right? Okay. And the likelihood of us owning a home in LA right now as it stands is pretty remote. Mm-hmm. We don't own a car, right? We, so we use her mother's car, Mm-hmm. And Liza obviously doesn't want to be in that spot, right? I don't want to be in that spot, but we spent the last 10 years traveling around the world and being vagabonds, right? We That's the lifestyle we led, mm-hmm. and that has a load of brilliant stuff, and then there's some trade-offs, right? Like you lose your nest, right? So you can lament that and be like, oh, my God, I don't have a house. I don't ha- have a car. And because we have debt, that is like going to create more and more anxiety because I want, I want, I want. Or you can say to yourself, wow, so grateful that I get to live with my in-laws and in the twilight of their years and spend time with them. They get to see our daughter grow up. I'm so grateful we get to use their car and they get to serve us as their agents of God. They want to serve, right? Yes. That is that that is a major, major paradigm shift, right? Right there. Major paradigm shift. Absolutely. I mean, Mm. how fortunate. I mean, I think that my brother, my brother just had a baby um a year ago, uh during the pandemic, right before the pandemic. And um and my mom would love to be with her grandchild every single day, right? She gets to see him twice a week, you know, they when they have meetings and such for work, they'll drop him off at her house. Mm. However, if she, I mean, she's even volunteered. She said, she said, why don't you just have him at my house five days a week while you're working? And then you, yeah, <laughs> you guys I'll take over him back home on the weekend. <laughs> I want your kid. <laughs> right? 
basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah. And so, yes, it is such a privilege. And then I've also seen the other side where I've had clients who are so far away from their families. And it's like very stressful for them to really manage their lives. And then especially during this pandemic, when the kids are not in school, Mm. they're like, when do I work? How can I create my business, do the things that I need to do? You know, when I'm also teaching my children, you know, because most of the time, a lot of the subjects became like what parents needed to teach their kids <laughs> instead of like the teachers doing it for them. Yeah, that that's a that's another really important point as well. You know, it's like um it's almost like looking looking at if, if you're in a relationship, so this is different if you're single. And I'd like to talk about that actually because it's quite interesting. But when you're in a relationship container and you you've got a husband, you've got a wife, you've got kids, when the whole money story comes up, I guess it's really important to to not look at the money story in isolation, but look at it in the relationship container. Because, you know, sometimes Liza, Liza has not had to work for four years. She could just look after Zia. And then when, we, when we're struggling for money through the pandemic, it's like, right, I need to go work. I need to work. I need to work. And I'm kind of like, nah, I think you really want to spend time with your daughter, right? Which she really, really does. But she feels pulled to do this other thing. And, but then if you're just like, well, actually, no, you don't have to because we now know how far we can push our debt. We now know you could go bankrupt. You now know you could sell your company. You now know you could go get a job. You now know you could live here for free. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes about shame and status mm-hmm. and, and, and lots of things underneath the iceberg, which I'm sure you, t- you touch upon and teach people and find so many times. We interrupt this broadcast between Katie Chen Mazara and Lee Davy to bring you an exclusive. Yes, if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, then let us show you the easy peasy lemon squeezy way to change our relationships with alcohol. Head over to www.1000daysober.com and sign up for the latest, greatest free workshop from the mind of the evil genius that is Lee Davy. Ha ha ha. Now back to Katie Chen Mazara and Lee Davy. Absolutely. Like that, the, the money stories always come from like where, what you've experienced in your childhood mm-hmm. and when, what you've experienced even a little past childhood, right into your early twenties, I would say. And, you know, the things that shape us, right. Are really, really important. I mean, it's really one of the reasons why I even started to do this work is because I've, known three women in my life that uh, stayed in abusive relationships because they didn't have money. They stayed Mm. at home. They had small children to take care of. And um, they just didn't have the wherewithal to have the freedom to decide what they wanted to do or to be able to get out of their situation. And so I personally want to empower everyone to actually be able to make decisions not based on money. Mm. Right? Like that's, that's true financial freedom is like when you're able to actually make decisions, not based off of money. Instead, you can say, this is what I really want to do. This is where I want to go. This is my dream, or I'm in a bad situation, either not just in your relationships, but at, perhaps at work, or any other kind of situation where you're like, okay, I need to 
I need to get out of this, right? <laughs> My mm-hmm. boss is, is, is crazy. He's yelling at everybody or whatever. And, and this isn't really healthy for me. And then, but you, and you have the choice to do that. Yeah, I once uh, interviewed, uh, you might know her actually, Fatima Demira Demello, the Olympic gold medalist from Holland. She's a poker star's ambassador. Mm-hmm. And um, Fatima, I, I was, I interviewed her because she's a very strong, powerful woman, right? Like to go into the poker world and just be there and to be comfortable and not take no shit from this kind of like more male dominated energy. So I got her on a podcast and I was like, how, how can we, because I, I encounter a lot of people, a lot of um, housewives mm-hmm. who at some point in their journey or life gave away their power to their male husbands. And along with that is financial power, you know, and, and I was asking Fatima, what advice would you give to women in that spot? And, and she's like, I would give my advice to all women is like, get yourself to a place where you are not financially, like you're financially autonomous. You do not need um, a man to support you, right? Which which can could be coupled with the advice that you just said then as well. It's like being able to see outside of that mental map again and be like, okay, I might actually have to go and live with my parents at the age of 46 until I get myself on my feet instead of what I, I know happens to me a lot in the past and I see it around me my clients is, oh, that is that thing that I want to do, that dream, uh, that that is not even in my purview because I don't have the money for it. Instead of how can I do it and not allowing money to be the impediment that probably doesn't even get you off the ground, which could be self-sabotaging itself, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the, the idea that you don't have the money to do something can actually, that, that's what derails most people's dreams, hmm. right? I mean, that's the reason why some people like actors, for example, will, will tell themselves, you know, oh, I'll do this for two years or I'll do this until I'm 30. (laughs) And then, (laughs) then I'm moving back home to Ohio with my parents. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, it doesn't need to be that right. Like there can be a balance. It's just a matter of like looking for things that kind of sustain you, sustain your energy as well as still being able to pursue the things that you really want to do. And then if you have a situation where I think, you know, where your parents or somebody else is able to support with, you know, then it's it's even better. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think that there is any shame in it. You know, I think that it's really setting yourself up for success. Like there's a lot of tools, right, to set yourself up for success. Like, for example, when you're a chef, you do a mise en place, right? Like you want to set everything up so that you can really, you know, get creative and cooking and all those things. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with money. It's like you're setting your foundation and then you're able to build upon that. And you, you'll get out of whatever thing that you are currently in that you may not find ideal. Mm. It's just being able to take that opportunity to actually set yourself up. You know, it's all about, with money, it's all about taking some opportunities and taking risks. Yeah. And a little bit of faith. And as my, and as my a friend... Lot of faith. A my lot of friend, faith. Um, so, so I, I'm really... I mean, you'll laugh at this probably, but I'll tell you the story anyway. Back in the day during myself development when I, I so I got into self-development about 35 so I stopped mm-hmm. drinking reading a book by Alan Carr 
And I didn't really read then. So I was like, oh, wow, shit, I can stop drinking after reading a book. So then I read Jack Canfield's Success Principles. Mm-hmm. And it was Jack Canfield then who said, um, you can be and do whatever you want to be and do, right? You just get in your own way. So that led to the question, why am I working on the railway? Why well, I really hate it. Why am I working on the railway? So it was it was Jack really that helped me change my paradigm and get me away from the railway into creating 1,000 Days Sober and going into the freelance business, into poker and stuff like that. And then as I'm traveling around the world, writing and producing and uh, interviewing and all these things that I'd never been trained to do and never even thought it was in my skill set, right? So I just took a risk and thought, okay, I'm going to do it. While I'm doing all this kind of stuff, I read a book. I can't remember who it was by, but he said, if you want to be a millionaire, hang around with millionaires, right? Now, I'd always wanted to be a millionaire. Like, ever since I was younger, we had this show called Only Fools and Horses in the UK. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the main protagonists was a guy called Del Boy. And they were like, he was like a street trader. And they were like really poor. And he was always grinding and hustling. And he always said to his family, one day we're going to be millionaires. And I always remember like feeling the same way, like feeling that it was always hustling. We never had it. I'm going to be a millionaire one day. Mm-hmm. So I read this book, Hang Around with Millionaires. I was in Vegas at the World Series of Poker and I went to Starbucks to get a coffee. And I was like, oh, there's Talal Shikurchi. And Talal is like one of the, the biggest philanthropists and hedge fund managers in Europe, right? Yeah. So, and he plays a lot of poker, high stakes. So I sat down. I said, do you mind if I sit down and join you? He's like, no, no, come and sit down. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. And I asked him if I could interview him. And he said, what do you want to interview me for? <laughs> he said, you can't interview me, but when you're in London, look me up and go for dinner. We become really good friends. Hmm. And I and I always like poke around and say to Talal, you know, what is what is the secret? Like, how do you go from like working class background to having so much money that you don't need money? You actually now it becomes a problem who you're going to give it to. Like his problem is like who? How do I philanthropically give this in the right way? Like how do you get there? And do you know what he says to me all the time? Hmm. Luck. <laughs> he just says it's luck. So whenever I talk to Talal about rational logical stuff, he's like, yeah. But whenever I talk to him about energy stuff, he's just like luck. And he, and he, he always draws a parallel to poker. He's like, you know, there's, there's at a high level, you've got players who are like literally just as good as each other, but it's luck plays a part. So that gets me thinking, how can we create our own luck? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I, I love that. I mean, with, I mean, obviously I, I play poker too. And I believe in, I love the saying that you can really play with any two hands, right? Any two cards, mm. essentially, right? Like yeah, yeah. really, you know, it's, it's partly skill, but it's also, yes, of course it's, you know, luck as well. However, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe in somewhat of luck, but, but my feeling is more on faith. Right. Like I have you read The Alchemist? Yeah. Long time ago. Yeah. Okay. And I really believe in, you know, how The Alchemist sets it up where when you really want something right and you keep going after what you desire, that the universe conspires in helping you to get there. Mm. And there are tests in the beginning. There's always tests. Right. And then when you actually say, yes, I do want to keep going and do this, then everything becomes easier. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it in my own business. I've seen it with clients in my own business. It's like, 
I will put out into the universe this intention of what I would really like to have. And then I let go of how it shows up. And every single time it shows up in a way that's much bigger and better than how I've really imagined it to be. Mm. And the times that I've actually controlled it more, it doesn't show up in that way. In fact, it sometimes may not even show up. <laughs> yeah, I always, uh, thanks for that. I, I kind of like in a similar way, I think about his luck thing. And I think to myself, sometimes I'm lucky, sometimes I'm unlucky. But if I, if I take on the role of the unlucky guy, then I'm going to slip into pessimism and drama below the line. And then you're into the energy vortex again, right? But if I put a, if I if I say, no, I'm so lucky. Yes. Like, so Talal is saying it's about luck. And I know he's not thinking the way I am. He's just thinking, no, sometimes. So well, I think what Talal is saying quite clearly is, well, I'll ask him actually next time we see him. But do you know when you have, like you said, with your, your, your client, and he said, just go down on a swing. And then that, and then they got three job opportunities. So Talal will definitely say that's luck. He'll just say, no, that is just random luck, right? But what I get out of that is, no, if we, if we get on that swing and we start to say to ourselves, well, I'm so lucky I get to swing. I'm so lucky that I get to take the time to do this. And I don't have to worry about not having a home. If you slip into the lucky stroke gratitude and look at it that way, then I can see how that slips into the energy vortex and you're above the line and then you're in a real straight of presence. Yeah. I mean, it's not luck because she did put in the work, right? She did apply for jobs. It's not mm. like she didn't apply for anything and then automatically somebody called her for something. Yeah. Um, however, you know, it. so it is preparation, right? It is like some kind of preparation meets an opportunity. Um, the, the whole energy part of that is like, yeah, she, she was able to get into what you were saying, like the feeling of like, yes, how lucky am I to get to be here in the sunshine swinging out. And she also gets to be in the energy of this joy, this pure joy of like being a kid again, right? When mm. she was a kid and just feeling freedom, like with swinging back and forth, you know, and yeah, not having any cares in the world. Well, I guess this is why coaching and working with people like yourself is really important because, you know, I recently uh, saw someone talking about a problem they had in terms of, look, you know, I've done all the work, I put in all the grind, I put in all the frameworks, I've got all my backing systems, I'm doing all my social media, I'm doing it, every, doing it, doing it, doing it, and it's not working and I'm not getting any clients. And then you're telling me to be pleasurable and to have fun and to do this, or I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm going swimming and uh, hiking and jumping out of planes and having sex with everybody and, and having so much fun, but I'm still not getting any clients. Right. So then I think to myself, well, that's when you really need a coach. That's when you really need someone to help you see what you're not seeing. Cause it's obviously something you're not seeing. Either your business like plane doesn't work or you're really faking yourself in this kind of pleasure energy business. And you, cause it's a difference between like, if I, if I wanted to go and, and have fun, <laughs> I can fake having fun and I can literally <laughs> be a very different person having fun. Yeah. And that, that, and if you fake it, if you have to fake it, then that's, that's telling you something about where your energy is at, at, at standing out. And a, and a coach will really help you. Should yeah. we, should we, if I, I, I'll give you a problem of mine. Okay. 
and then you can help me with it. And then sure. the people listening and watching can see you do your little wizardry. Sure. And then it'll be like, okay, okay. This is what Kate is about. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. All right. Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you my problem statement and let's poke it and okay. prod it so people can look at it. Because I know when I was 35 when I, and I stopped drinking, I was very black and white around money. It was simply was, I don't have money because I'm I can't get any more money, right? So I want to kind of I'm hitting that group of people if you're listening, folks, right? Okay. So yesterday I went to Foodie Land and I withdrew $60 for me, Liza, and Zia. Zia's four, right? So you think 60 bucks spending walk going around food for the day is enough, right? Like it's a lot of money, like 60 bucks. A lot of people last year weeks kind of like shopping. We did not spend 60 bucks. I can tell you we did not spend 60 bucks. We probably spent double that in Foodie Land yesterday, right? And that doesn't sit well with me, right? That doesn't sit well with me. So let's start there. Okay. What didn't sit well with you? Saying saying we're going to spend 60 bucks and then saying and spending more than 60 bucks doesn't sit well with me. That's the major overarching. One of the biggest things that didn't sit well with me was standing in that line for that baby bottle and buying it for 20 bucks. That was an integrity piece that didn't sit well with me at all. Okay. And then when it comes to spending more than you had anticipated, right? What do you think it meant about you, your values? Okay, I'll split this up. So... When it comes to my children and my daughter really wanting a 20 buck bottle, there's two things that come up for me. One is shame that I can't give my daughter a 20 buck bottle when she wants it. So shame around not being able to give them everything they want, coupled with the knowledge rationally that that is not the way to raise a child. And then there's another part and that's, um, I don't want to deal with the, I don't want to deal with the aftermath of not getting that bottle. (laughs) <laughs> in the biggest line in Pasadena, which is basically my daughter lying on the floor, refusing to move, screaming at the top of her voice. So there's, that's the daughter side of it. When it comes to Liza, my father always controlled the purse strings in his relationship with my mom. And I never wanted that in my relationship. So there's a control element. So I don't want to. So if me and Liza agree to only spend 60 bucks, but then Liza wants to spend more than 60 bucks, I won't get in her way because the only way I need, the only way I know how to deal with that is to, it's for my inner child to come up and it turns into a fight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to control her. And I feel shame that I can't just let, if she wants to spend 120 bucks in food land, I should be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like she deserves it. Why can't, why am I, why am I stopping her? And I love that, first of all, that you actually think about it from this perspective of both your child and your wife. And the two times that you mentioned them, you also brought up the shame that it brings up for you. Mm. And I hear you about your father controlling. Dig underneath that. And what, what is the shame really about? Because I've done this work. Mm-hmm. I can fast forward a little bit on this. It's because when I was 10, mm-hmm. my parents moved me from England to Wales. And that whole move meant that we were broke. So I started out in a brand new environment, not knowing anybody at the poorest we have ever been. Mm. So 
I then started playing the outside in game at the age of 10. I, I needed to be liked by people. And I, and I was, I wasn't, I was poor. I like I, the stuff that I wore wasn't Nike Adidas. It was the stuff that kids got picked on for wearing. Yeah. Um, and my mom and dad weren't able to give me the things that I wanted, but we, but they didn't have the communication skills to talk us through that. So it was very, we don't have a money tree <laughs> growing in the garden, which then led to me feeling, okay, when I get a kid, and I know this is codependency, I'm going to do the complete opposite. So when Jude was born, Jude had everything, which then has a problem in itself as Jude then gets older. Yeah. And then going back to that moment in childhood when you moved to Wales and then really understanding that it's because we're poor and the clothes that you were wearing wasn't what you would want to be wearing. And what, you know, what can you say to that little boy now that you, you know and you're now a father, right? Mm. What would you say to him in his, when, the way he's feeling in his shame? Give me a moment. You know, I'm, I can see that you're really upset. You didn't want to move here. Mm. You left all your friends behind. You don't know anybody. You look different and you sound different. Mm. And you don't want to be different because you just want love and connection you want people to like you you just want to have fun you want to have friends and you feel that in order to get those friends you need to behave look or be a certain way and that's that's not how our journey ends up like our journey ends up realizing the truth which is those things help you fit in but they don't help you belong and today we belong we choose to belong. We don't fit in. We, all those things you wanted, we choose today to not really have them because we don't feel they're as important to us. And you, and you were in a tough spot. And I really want to thank you for showing up and showering Jude and Debbie and Liza and Zia with gifts and monetary things mm. because I know you did that because you love them but we don't have to do that anymore because a transaction this a financial transaction doesn't mean love at all you don't need money to love there are so many people in the world that have no money that are super in love so I want to give you a new role and that new role is to not spend money that we don't have and to help me set those rules and jointly as a, in a relationship container with Liza and the kids and, and to have fun finding more creative ways to do what we need to do and mm -hmm. to be grateful and happy with what we have and just to yeah just to keep an eye on it and but I, I got it as a 46 year old man I got it there's no need to feel ashamed just remind me and give me a nod every now and then when you feel like we're going to be breaking an agreement financially and allow us to get our integrity into place. Yeah. And that would be, be great. Would you take on that role? Yeah. Just giving them a squeeze. Yes.
showing him how much you love him. Beautiful. And so how can you expand more into that love and belonging? One of the things that I know that I do is um, there's a relationship there between money and pleasure, which I need to sever. So, for example, Liza's always wanting to get away because obviously she's living with her in-laws, right? So I'm always kind of thinking, yeah, we'll get away when we get some money. Yeah, we'll get away when we get some money. What if we just got away? Mm-hmm. What, if we just, what if we just got away? What if we just said, okay, let's just, how can we go away mm-hmm. without money? Yeah. Oh, obviously, we need some money to put gas in the car and stuff, but do we have friends we can visit? Right. You know, do we have uh, someone who wants to do a share? Like, is there someone who's going away that needs us to look after their house in the state that we don't know? Like... Yes. Can we go out for the day and just come back and we've just been to the beach? Yes. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a big piece of work for me. Yeah. I need to spend more time swinging on the swings on the weekends instead of worrying about where the next paycheck is coming in, you know? Yes, right. <laughs> and I just want to preface that as well for people listening. Just a really laser-like focusing on my issues which I hope helps people listening. Mm-hmm. I've been on this planet for 46 years. And in that time as a human being, the only time that I have not been in debt was a brief period of time between 16 and 18 when I worked at a kitchen factory, ironically earning 30 pounds a week. And I gave my mom 10 pounds, but I didn't go into debt because you couldn't back then. You had no credit cards or nothing. You just had to make your 30 pound work. Mm-hmm. When I got divorced and I was single for six months, I got out of 30K into debt and I turned it into 20K in, into investment money. Mm. Other than that, I've always been in debt and it's always been when I've been in relationships with mm. people. So that goes to show that my issue is very much a story around how I handle money and, and relationships. Yeah. And it goes back to that story you were just talking about with yeah. as a kid. You know, like all you see when it comes to money is like this feeling of being loved and belonging. Mm. And so you'll do anything to use money to show your love and to cultivate more belonging. Yes. The outside in game. If If I spend money on you, it shows me that I love you. Yes. It's almost like taking Gary Chapman's love languages. Let's say Liza's, actually Liza's love language is gift receiving. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But this is unhealthy. The the way that I've been doing it is unhealthy. And I clearly see it's codependent from a child. Mm -hmm. Like worrying that if I don't show up and give her the things that she wants, that that she won't like me in some way is codependence behavior. Like I'm, super super aware of that and i'm dealing with it i've been working in that in the last 18 months which incidentally if people are listening it does not mean that i've spent the last couple of years just absolutely throwing shit liza that is not how it works out it isn't it's just when there are some times when i have to say no as a collective as a family and go hey hang on a minute we need to have a discussion about this i don't have those discussions right and and that leads to death it's not like right. i buy liza jewelry and clothes and shit i don't do that interestingly enough 
Right. You don't have those discussions because, yeah, you don't want to feel like the other person's not going to love you or that you're not going to belong. It, yeah. it keeps going back to that moment, you know, mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, where you were wearing clothes that you weren't feeling comfortable in and you just want all you want is to belong. Yeah. I'm going to wrap this up with a bow before I ask you to talk yeah. about your challenge. So with the money tree paradox, if I'm able to take a really rational, logical look at my finances, how to improve my credit report, what's my plan to get out of debt, what's my income and outcome, what's my balance sheet, who do I need to help me to grow my financial acumen? That's one side of it. Then there's the other side of it, which is continue to work on your inner child, continue to work on your shadow work, continue to work on your past work and heal that inner child like we were just doing right now, which will enable me to shift into a much better, much healthier energy kind of state of consciousness, which Liza will then feel, which means when I sit down to her to talk about the money thing, I'm actually sitting down and coming from a place of presence, not drama, which means we're more likely to work together and find a solution than yes. coming from it from lack, scarcity. And yes. then together with our mindset on it, with the play and the pleasure, everybody's happy. We can all chill out and the money will come. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what, it, that's why when I asked you, how can you actually expand love and belonging? And I'm going to add to this, how can you expand love and belonging with Liza, with Zia without spending money? Yeah. Yeah. Less, we're going to start doing that this weekend. Yeah. That's going to be our fun project. Well, Katie, thank you for that. Um, tell the world about your challenge. I know you've got a challenge coming up. Tell them about yeah. that and how they can get older you. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, so a lot of the things that we were talking about today, we're going to put into this challenge. It's a free challenge. It starts next Monday. It's five days. And then each and every day, we're going to go through some subject around money, around abundance, increasing your abundance, um, savings debts, because some of that practical work is really important, how to negotiate, how to, and then some, a little bit of inner child work. We're going to look at money blocks and I'm going to actually even call for volunteers to work with me to find their money blocks, what their money stories are to get that cleared out, um, for them. And, um, it's just, it's the energy of it is incredible. Like every time I have a five day challenge, people bring in more money, Mm -hmm. during that week and have more abundance and more opportunities because you're in a container where everybody else is working towards the same thing. And like somebody last time in the last challenge actually had been working on getting a settlement check for a year. And then during the week that we were in the challenge, like she messaged me and said that she got the actual settlement. Check. Oh, that's awesome. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she was like, I can't believe it. I've been waiting for this money for a year and it's finally shown up like during this week. And I'm like, yes, mm. it's because we're all in this container together. And it's so it's, it, it really, makes um makes it feel magical but it's it's what we've been talking about with energy mm -hmm. you know when you're in that energy it actually helps make things move that much easier and in yeah yeah i totally agree totally agree katie yeah. chen Mazar, thank you very much for yeah. um doing the work that you do the world needs it really appreciate you and thanks for being a guest on thanks, the 1000 days sober podcast yeah i appreciate you so much 
Oh, one last thing. How can they find you to get the uh, challenge? Yes. Um, well, I, I'll give you the link to put into your show notes. And then yes. um, they can also go to... I'll just give you the link to my website, which yeah. will be easier. It's katiechenmazara.com. Okay. So and you can and you can and you can email me as well on 1kdaysilver at gmail.com and I'll point you in the right direction. Great. All right. Thank you, Katie. Much love. Thank Have a great you. day. Bye. You too. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Katie Chen Mazara. And if you want to learn more about her, get involved in her Five Days to Financial Freedom Challenge. It runs between August the 23rd and August the 27th. You have lots of time to check that out. Okay. And day one, you're going to learn about money manifesting. Day two, get out of your feast or famine mindset. Day three, saving debts made easy. Day four, know your worth. And day five, release your money blocks. If you want to join up to this Facebook live training, then get over to Katie's website, which is katiechenmazara.com. K-A-T-Y-C-H-E-N-M-A-Z-Z-A-R-A. Dot com. Thank you, as always, for being a wonderful, beautiful guest here at 1000 Days Sober. <laughs>